Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. You're just in time to travel back 40 years ago into the start of the NFL season in 1983 and the Super Bowl that ended that season and talk about the top two teams in the league that year with Rich Smelter and his new book on the championship diaries, Super Bowl 18, coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to talk to an author that has a book out just recently. He's our friend, Rich Smelter. He has a book called Championship Diary, Super Bowl 18, Los Angeles Raiders versus the Washington Redskins, back on January 22nd, 1984. That game was played. Rich, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, thank you so much. And, you know, I know the audience can't see me, but I'm pretty much laid out in Raider stuff right now. Okay, Um, because I just love the Raiders. I wrote a book about about, you know, one of the Super Bowls that they're in. So I always like to say I like to dive into the pig pen head first, but I'm going to slowly ease in feet first so I don't get my shirt dirty. Yeah, you don't want to get spatter on on the black and silver. (laughs) Thanks. So thank you so much for having me back. Well, we're we're glad that you came back, and, and you know this is a great thing that you're doing here. Uh, you're, the beginning of the title is Championship Diaries, it's plural, and that's sort of what this is, is sort of a diary of that 1983 season into the 1984 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 18. Now, with that being plural of diaries, is there more to come of this type of work? Yes, there is. Uh, that was the first one that I did because I have a special place in my heart for that that Raiders team. And I also have uh, some of them lined up. I have about five of them lined up that I want to do. I'd love to do them all, you know, and hopefully I, I will be able to achieve it. Now that I have the format set up, this was my first one. So it was kind of like a building block to, to lit- a literary building block for me. And now I'm able to, to take all that. I'm piecing things together with all the information from the other games. So, yes, it's going to be a series. And uh, I just can't wait to do it. I might even throw some baseball in, some NBA. But it's going to be more geared toward Super Bowls and champ, uh, pre-Super Bowl championships. Okay. And and we realized, I mean, you, you sort of led us into this, you know, gave us a little segue. You're wearing your Raiders gear and you're a Raiders fan and the Raiders won the Super Bowl. But the Raiders won more than just the Super Bowl. What made this Super Bowl special that you wanted this to be uh, the uh, the coronation of this uh, fleet of books you're about to unleash on us? Uh, it's, their, it's their last Super Bowl that they won, unfortunately. And it was, you know, they got to Los Angeles the year before that. And... They just completely turned the NFL 
on its ear. You know, second year in Los Angeles, they were the first team to win the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. And it's a uh, it's just a just a really cool story. And I and I like to get to the stories also. Um, one that I had one that I plan on doing after this is about the 1964 NFL championship game. Uh, a lot of drama involved. Um, 1979 or 19 uh, January of 80 Super Bowl when the Steelers beat the uh, Los Angeles Rams. But again, a lot of great backstories in between there. So I, I like to incorporate a little bit of human drama in that. And nobody had human drama better than Al Davis and Pete Rozelle, you know, when they were butting, they butted some serious heads at that time. So it, it's just a lot of, a lot of interesting things that intertwined in there. So um, very, very special to me. And I just wanted to, but I'll get, to a game that I feel really comfortable with a team that I feel very comfortable with. And, you know, when you're starting this off, so uh, I kicked it off and uh, it came out a lot better than I thought that it would. I mean, uh, I was, you know, like I said, you know, with anything, when you start this, you add this piece, you add this piece. And I started off, like I told you earlier, um, I I thought, well, it's going to be about 70 to 80 pages. And then all of a sudden it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew into a beast of 156 pages, which is fine. You know, and I wanted to keep the price down. Uh, I did it uh, independently. I got away from the, the the conventional publishers. And it was just a very liberating feeling to be able to control the pricing. I want to keep it reasonable for people. I, I you know, you want people to enjoy it, but you don't want people, you don't want people to pay an arm and a leg. Unfortunately, a lot of the public publishing houses overprice a little bit. And it's not not fair to the consumer. Right. Well, as, as long as we're on the subject, we'll give the opportunity later in the show too. But what, let's uh, let people know where they can get, get this book and give, go ahead and give the full title and everything so people can find it. Too. Okay, you, you can go to Amazon. You can go to Amazon and just punch in Championship Diary and it will come up and you'll see a beautiful cover that my friend Cody Haggard made. And you're getting to be good friends with Cody yourself. Absolutely. And it's just an incredible cover. And you'll see it on there. It's a black cover with white writing and a football meshed in there with the two teams on there. And it really stands out. So it's you go to Amazon and just punch in Championship Diary and it'll come up. Okay. I believe I believe I sent you a link also if you want to post yes. that up. Yeah, we have you know, folks, if you're driving or don't have a pen and pencil or don't have a computer in front of you, we're going to put this in the notes of the show notes here. And we'll have a subsequent article releasing the same day. Uh, you know, just type in Championship Diary on Pigskin Dispatch. You'll be able to find it that way too. Or go to the show notes of this podcast you're listening to. We'll get you right to uh, a place where you can buy Rich's book. Now, now Rich, I guess... Uh, just a thumbnail sketch. You know, you have 20 seconds to tell somebody what the championship diaries, not this particular one, but what the championship diaries series is going to do. What what are we going to get from this by reading each one of these books? You're going to relive the season. You, if, if you have a favorite team that you wanted to see, and, and that is it, you're going to have a chance to relive the season from the season previews through the regular season, through the playoffs, through the championship and how the championship team was built and that coaching staff and all the dates that these people were, were brought into the fold. So you get a chronological look at it all. And if you don't cheat, if you go right, right from the beginning to the end, you will have no idea who won. So there are absolutely no biases here. And uh, it's, uh, it's just a lot, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to find out all the, um, the dates that these players came on when they were drafted again, when the coaching staff came on. And again, thanks to newspapers.com, I was able to achieve all that. Okay. Well, we're not going to keep anybody in suspense anymore. 
let's learn about this uh, 1983 season with these two great teams and what led up to Super Bowl 18 in your in these championship diaries of this first one. Well, the Raiders again, you know, the Raiders were in Oakland for from 1960 to 1981, and then Al Davis wanted to move the team. There's a lot of controversy. He was uh, the NFL was opposed to him moving. He said, you know what? I'm moving to Los Angeles. I mean, that was just too great of a market for him to pass up after the Rams left, went down to Anaheim. So he moved in to Los Angeles. Pete Rozelle was not a happy man about it. You know, they they were like fire and ice. So there was a lot of controversy there. They were, you know, they, they really weren't settled in Los Angeles. A lot of the guys still lived up in Northern California. They were shuttling back and forth. And finally, by the 83 season, they were able to settle in and maybe find a rent or something like that. And the team, the team was like peaks and valleys. In 1980, they they won the Super Bowl. They came out of nowhere to win the Super Bowl. 1981, they kind of crashed and burned. So 1982, they came up during the strike shortened season. They wound up being eight and one. So everybody kind of expected 1983 was going to be in from the peak down to the valley again because a lot of the key players were getting older: Jim Plunkett, Ray Guy, Ted Hendricks, Lyle Alzado, Greg Pruitt. They were all up in their 30s, and you know, some their best years were pretty much behind them, or so they thought. And then on the other hand, the Washington Redskins, the Washington Redskins was a team that was made up of free agents. As, as individual ball players on that Washington team, even though they were 14 and two, they were a juggernaut. You know, they were they were probably one of the greatest regular season teams ever assembled. They they only lost an undefeated season by just a couple points. They lost one game to the Dallas Cowboys, the opening game by one point, and then they just the Green Bay Packers just squeaked by them in another game. So just a couple points here or there, they would have gone undefeated. And you had the the MVP and Joe Theismann. You had the reigning Super Bowl MVP and uh, John Riggins. And that by the way, the Washington Redskins did win the Super Bowl in 1982. So they came into this season just loaded. But again, as I said, individually, they really didn't stand out. Maybe Riggins did, but they really didn't stand out. And Art Monk, maybe, but they really didn't stand out. But And so many of the players were all free agents. A lot of these guys weren't even drafted by, by the Redskins. And then all of a sudden, but as a team, they just came together in an incredible way. And they they were strong at everything, except uh, they, they were a little weak. They were a little weak when it came to pass defense. But beside that, they, they were just, you know, number one against the run. They, they, they pretty much had it all. And so they, they, they blitzed through the rest of the season after losing those two games. And the Raiders finished 12 and four. And they got in, in, in kind of, a, you know, of course, the typical Raiders fashion, you know, dominant way. And then in the playoffs, both teams just totally dominated their, their opponents. You know, the Raiders, I'm sorry to say, Darren, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 38 to 10 in the first what? round. What? <laughs> uh, believe it. You believe that. And then they, they beat the Seattle Seahawks, which were in the AFC at that time. They dominated them in the AFC championship game. And Washington did the same thing in the playoffs. Uh, and, well, now, actually, if we could stop you right there. Now, with the Seattle game, now you and you allude to this in the book and you tell about this uh, the right, whole regular season. You go through game by game. The Seahawks had defeated the Raiders twice in a regular season during a divisional play, right? Yes, the, the 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 Seahawks always seemed to have the Raiders number at that time, and mostly when they were playing up in the Kingdom. Luckily, that game was played in the Los Angeles Coliseum, but in the 83 season, it didn't matter because the Seahawks beat the Raiders in the Coliseum as well. So that game was kind of a little, I think, 
in some in some circles, I believe that it was a shock because they they had Kurt Warner, who was an you know an incredible running back at that time, and the the Raiders just shut him down unbelievably, and so they thought maybe they could probably do that to Riggins too, but then also the Raiders had Marcus Allen, but then the the Redskins were able to shut down Eric Dickerson in the first playoff game that they played. And they had such a big lead on San Francisco. And then all of a sudden San Francisco slowly came back in the AFC in the NFC championship game and almost beat them. But you know, the, the Redskins won their second suit, they won their second NFC title and they both went to the Super Bowl. And it was supposed to be a game where the Raiders were three point underdogs. Um, and then the Raiders just did what they normally do. And they just, dominated they absolutely and, and i i describe everything in the book i describe all the ins and outs all the scouting reports on you know how they could neutralize this how they can neutralize that so you see all that unfold in the book after the uh championship games and the scouting reports you know it's the breakdown on you know this team's running game and then the defense against the run and it's all broken down and then the key matchups so when you get to the point of the super bowl you kind of can can see things coming around, you know, like like Tom Flores said, co- head coach Tom Flores said, you know, we're going to give the ball to Marcus and we're going to give him the ball a lot. Well, that was true that they did. And, you know, one of the greatest Super Bowl performances of all time happened. Um, if you're a Raiders fan, and who, gosh, who isn't? But no, <laughs> sorry, audience, if you got mad at me right there. But if, if you know, if, if, you're, if you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of professional football history or just a fan of the teams, you're going to you're going to absolutely. I would like to believe that you're absolutely going to love this and see this whole thing unfold. Um, and even if you're a fan of the Redskins, I mean, you get to see the Redskins season and, and come around and all and leading up to the Super Bowl. So it, it, it's good for 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 more so Raiders fans. It's good for pro football history fans and of course the Washington now the Commanders, but. Um, and I also made a note in that book um, at the beginning, because when you look at the cover, you see Los Angeles Raiders and then you see the Washington Redskins. And obviously both teams don't exist anymore. So I had a disclaimer in there saying, you know, that, you know, about the Raiders, you know, moving back to Oakland and then becoming the Las Vegas Raiders and then the Washington Redskins becoming the commanders. Um, so, you know, so people aren't thrown off by that because they're like, what is this? Some semi-pro team or something like this. Right. So I, I had a disclaimer in there. Yeah, I, 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 just I mean, I, I love some of the, the little subtle things that, that you did in this. You know, I was expecting, you know, so a little bit of game action and telling stats and things like that. But I loved and I believe it was near the end. You sort of had a rundown on all the the coaches, not just the head coaches, but you went down into you know some of the, the lower level coaches of, of each team as well. So but before we get into that, you, you just mentioned Tom Flores was the, the coach of the Raiders that season. And who who was the coach of Washington for, for their season? Joe Gibbs. Joe okay, Gibbs. So Joe Hall- Gibbs. Yeah. And just to just to correct you, I'm sorry to correct you, but I only have um the Raiders um had the Raiders coaching staff on there because I have a part in there where it says how the championship team was built. So it's only okay. about, only about the champion team and all, but it, it doesn't have anything about the Raiders. Uh, I'm sorry, the Redskins, you know, coaches, the bios on that, just the Raiders. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I found that really interesting. I apologize for, for saying, oh, no, 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 no. alluding to the same. I don't want to just 
mislead mislead anybody. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I it was misleading saying that. But uh, you know, just going into those and giving those guys a little bit of love uh because you know, they're they're there every single day just like the star players are, just like the head coach and you know, these are the guys that are in the the coaching trenches uh, and doing all the dirty work that the head coaches are instructing them to do and uh, getting the players fired up and to do schemes and everything. So I I love it when books do that and pay homage to, to some of those folks too. I wanted to do that because it's a, you know, it's a team, it's a team sport and those guys were an incredible team and, you know, all the blood, sweat and tears that went with it from training camp and the sweltering heat up in Santa Rosa, California, or where, where Washington trained up in, I believe it was Maryland they trained. And, you know, through the heat of the summer, all the way through all the pain, all the, uh, and all the, everything that goes with, with winning a championship, you reach that pinnacle and I believe that everybody should, should have, everybody should, should have uh, their moment in the sun. And I try to do that in that book and have little bios on all, you know, on the players that, that that won the championship, regardless if you sat on the bench and never played, or if you were the superstar MVP, um, everybody got their equal share. I try to keep, keep, try to keep every bio equal with the exception of uh, Ted Hendricks and Lyle Alzado, because their personalities were a little, a little big and their, their, their careers were lengthy up to that time. So it made it a little, their, their careers were a little bit longer and, you know, it showed their path on how they got to the Raiders where most of those guys were drafted by the Raiders. We'll be back in just a moment to talk some more with Rich Smelter in just a moment, right after this. The memorable moments were many. Franco Harris's immaculate reception, Roger Staubach's Hail Mary. But the decade's greatest teams were defined by defense. Author Michael McCambridge. Joe Zagorski's podcast, Pro Football in the 1970s, pays homage to a time when defense ruled the gridiron. Soundtrack provided by Horst Hoffman of FilmMusic.io. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. This is Bud Bailey of the Buffalo Bills Historical Timeline. You're listening to the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast. And now we return to our guest and Rich Smelter in that great interview on the 1983 season, Super Bowl 18. Since you brought him up, maybe this is a good time to segue into something that I found extremely entertaining. And it, maybe it's uh, it's outdated itself and maybe it's not uh, politically correct and socially acceptable in our day and age now. But it, this is football the way it was back in the 80s, 70s and, and prior to that. You you had a little uh, quip in there about um, I think it was some pre pre game type banter from the players and uh, started off you know Lyle and Zedel was eventually involved in it but it started off with another player making a statement that uh, he would do anything to win a championship game maybe if you could tell that little oh, yes that, actually that was Matt Millen that said that but I'll get to okay. Lyle Lyle in a minute. Uh, uh, or or as he was known that time three mile Lyle because he could erupt at any time. <laughs> But uh, Russ Grimm, the the all Mister Everything offensive lineman, uh, when he was asked about winning a super, what a, winning a Super Bowl would mean to him, he looked and he said, he goes to win another Super Bowl. He goes, I'd run over my own mother to win that Super Bowl. So then Matt Millen was told that in a press conference, and he looked and he kind of gazed up and he goes, Yes, he goes. I would run over Russ Grimm's mother to win the Super Bowl too. So you know, he didn't say anything about his own mom, but Russ, he goes, "I'd run over Russ Grimm's mother too." You know, so I that that was one of my favorite lines that he said. Obviously, no mother got ran over, but it was uh, just just a cool way. And Matt Millen was 
one of the best gentlemen that you could ever possibly imagine on you know you know he he read his bible he minded his own business he was a quiet man off the field but as soon as he went on that field you know he was he was a wild man and he had some good good quips like that too but nothing like wild lyle i mean he was um you know he wanted to rip he wanted to rip people's he did a um like a a, a commercial for a radio station and he goes you better listen to this station or i'll rip your lips off or he said he wanted to bring a mat to the uh, Super Bowl, so he could put it down for when he knocks John Riggins' head off. It has a nice place to land, and he wanted to take um, uh, Joe Theismann's head off of his shoulders. You know, he was going to rip his head off and all this stuff. And it was just the way Lyle was, you know. But Lyle, Lyle had a good game. You know, they all had a great game. Yeah, so just I mean, that's the kind of things that are just enjoyable. Things that you know, we may look at. For Super Bowls now, everybody wants the the good uh, uh, interview and you know get a, a coach's speak or some great quote that you can put in there. But usually, we forget about it once the game you know just played. We forget about it after those two weeks. So going right. back, you know, forty some years and hearing these little you know quips and uh, bulletin board material that that are being said, that, that's good stuff. And I'm glad that you were able to preserve that and uh, and basically have the whole conversation from what players on both sides said and how it got to what Lyle Alzado saying about ripping heads off, you know, it's, uh, it's entertaining. It was, uh, it brings back memories. Thank you, Darren. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's a thing that I like to do is um, sure. You can do the X's and the O's. You can do the play. You, you could do, do all the plays and everything, which I did in the Super Bowl. I recreated that whole Super Bowl to, mm-hmm. to make it where, where, you know, you can get to, you get to see the whole Super Bowl unfold play by play. However, I didn't just, you know, cut and dry cookie cutter. He ran here, he ran there. I try to add some things in, in the middle as to little side stories as to what happened. Maybe he ran for five yards, but maybe, you know, somebody twisted his leg or something. They got into a fight or something like that. I try to incorporate all that. And and I like to incorporate all that stuff to make it interesting, not, not just, you know, cookie cutter, like a textbook when you're in school where, where you read 50 pages and don't know what the heck you read. That's, I didn't want that. So I wanted to keep it entertaining all the way through. And I wanted to make it a book where you could go back and look from time to time and always catch things. You know, it's got the stats in the book, um, uh, regular season stats, the players who won awards, all pro, everything in there. And um, it just, it just it's just a book that I always like to just say, you know, you could sit down and talk about it with your friends. You could do whatever you want. Hopefully all the friends buy it, you know, mm-hmm. but um I, I I just wanted to keep it entertaining. I wanted, I didn't want to keep it cookie cutter. I wanted to keep it entertaining. Yeah, yeah you definitely did that. And you, and you touched on it a little bit earlier too. And we we talked about that uh, uh, AFC Championship game against Seattle with the Raiders. I loved how you talked about the scheme. And this isn't something that we would have read in the newspaper the next day. You know, this is something that you know years later maybe you know NFL Network or somebody would break the game down. You know, or Ron Jaworski on his you know tape. But you got in there and the strategy that the Raiders used to stop Seattle's offense this time. You had David Craig and like Kurt Warner, the running back from Penn State was, was on, you know, big, making a big yardage out here. And you, you talked about how, you know, they sort of spread them out and brought the linebackers up. They put the, they spread the, their defensive ends out, brought the backers up, you know, stuffed the holes. Uh, Kurt Warner had nowhere to go, got frustrated, forced them to throw the ball and uh, you know, of course, that secondary of the Raiders was pretty good at that time. Maybe, maybe oh, talk about that that secondary because that that really made that difference in that game. That it made the difference in the AFC Championship game. And David Craig had one of the worst performances ever. You know, Jim Zorn came in and was able to 
ignite the offense a little bit, but the game was already over. And I believe it was 30 to 14. And but the game was already over when when Jim Zorn came in. But what they what they did that that, that due to that secondary back in November of 83, Mike Haynes, Mike Haynes, Haynes, I'm sorry, Haynes and Haynes, Mike Haynes. Uh, was with New England. He was disgruntled, wanted to get out of his contract. The Raiders wanted him. He was one of the best defensive backs of his time, Hall of Famer. And coupled with Lester Hayes, who was, you know, they, he went by the nickname of the judge, and he ruled that secondary. And with with both of those guys, they were probably the great, and, and you know, you always hear, oh, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Browns had Menafield and Dixon and blah, blah, blah. I don't even want to hear that because, it's like in, in the 1980s, you, those guys were great, okay? But Hayes and Haynes, also, first off, have the rings to prove it, but they were also the, the, the best cover men of all time in, in, you know, in that time. And I would say in the 80s and possibly of all time, they were the best tandem. Um, and again, I'm sure hopefully people aren't throwing things at, <laughs> with, with whatever device they're listening on right now. And please don't hate me for that. But, um, I mean, Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes were were absolutely incredible and thanks to them they were able to they knew that the second that the receivers were going to be neutralized so the backers did not have to drop back in a passing lanes all that they could do is just focus on the on the running and of course you know they they did go out you know matt millen had an interception in the super bowl um jack squirek you know i'm jack squirek uh he was a reserve line linebacker came in caught a five-yard touchdown, you know, intercepted a uh, pass from Joe to Joe Washington from Joe Theismann, scored a, su- scored a Super Bowl touchdown to make it 21 to three at the half. And that was the true turning point of that game. So there, there, there were other people that, that covered the passing lanes, but more often than not, Hayes and Haynes neutralized, you know, the Smurfs and Art Monk, you know, you had the Smurfs, you had these little receivers, the Charlie Brown, uh, Gal- Garrett, and they, they, if I left out anybody, please forgive me. But, you know, he, they were able to neutralize him, especially Art Monk, you know, who's a Hall of Famer himself, a f- phenomenal talent out of Syracuse. And so they were able to, to to neutralize them. So they didn't really have to focus too much because and also you forget Van McElroy was back there and Mike Davis, Van McElroy and Mike Davis were incredible hitters. And so so, you know, you had a great secondary at that time. And so the backers were able to to move up, plug the holes, and John Riggins had nowhere to go, just like Kurt Warner had nowhere to go in the AFC Championship game. And, you know, Riggins was, you know, tearing up yardage, 100-yard games here, 100-yard games there. And he was he won a few MVPs. Uh, I believe he won the Burt Bell Award for the most mm-hmm. valuable player. And that was one of the outlets that, that gave out MVPs. And, of course, Joe Theismann won an MVP that year from another outlet. But uh, totally shut them down. You know, and Theismann and, and Riggins were beaten dogs. I mean, Thi- Riggins had 64 yards, but I think he had like 26 carries that game. So, you know, you could see the the dominance that 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 team had. And a great thing was Rod Martin. Love Rod Martin, linebacker for the Raiders. He during that game, he was on the sideline, and when they were already up, and they they were, just, you know, they they already had the game in control. And he looked over at the guys on the sideline sitting there, and he goes. Uh, he goes, all right, we dominate him. Now let's punish him. And I got goosebumps just thinking about that. He goes, let's just punish him. And they just, they just punished him. I mean, I, I'm, my eyes are filling up with tears here. They just punished him. And, and you, you saw what they did after, shortly after that with, with, uh, with Theismann. I mean, Theismann just, you know, he was just beaten down. His jersey was hanging off of his pads and, his, you know, probably his helmet was turned halfway around. You know, we, 
we just didn't see it. But um, it was just uh, just a dominant thing. But just the way he said that, he goes, we, we already dominated them. Let's punish them. Let's abuse them. You know, <laughs> classic Raider, classic Raider mantra right there. It was just great. It was just great. Right. Now, uh, another thing you did, you sort of uh, going, I, I can't believe, remember if you did it before the Super Bowl, you talked about the Super Bowl or afterwards, but I guess it doesn't really matter. You talked about sort of the the season totals for each team, the leaders and things. And one thing that really jumped out at me is how unique the Raiders offense was. If you look at their leading receivers, I think you had, you know, uh, Christensen who played tight end was their leading receiver. Marcus Allen, a running back as their second leading receiver. Then you, you have a, a wide receiver was third. And I, I sat there and said, well, maybe that was just the air. So I looked over at Washington. No, it was Monk. It was, uh, you know, it was all wide receivers. There. Garrett, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, wow. I said, I don't, that's something maybe that we forget how, how unique they were, you know, with, with Plunkett or, uh, you know, whoever else was coming in there to, to play. They, they had a quarterback, a little bit of quarterback controversy that year. Too, they did at the beginning, at the beginning of the year in training camp, they had some controversy there because some of the guys in the locker room wanted Mark Wilson. They felt, you know, it was, he was his time and all, but Jim, you know, Jim Plunkett was loyal to Tom Flores. He took him to a Super Bowl a few years before that. So Tom Flores was going to stick with Jim Plunkett, but if things went wrong and they didn't, they kind of came out of the blocks not not too well. Then Mark Wilson was going to come in, and Mark Wilson did come in on a, a regular season game against Dallas. Had a phenomenal game, but then he got hurt as, as the season went on, and Plunkett came back in, just like Plunkett did when in 1980 when Dan Pastorini got hurt. He came in in the fifth game of the season, completely turned the season around. So, you know, then, then then it was Plunkett's job. And they also had David Hum as a backup quarterback, really pretty much a clipboard holder at that time. But still, he was there. And um, so they, they just had they, they just had a, a great offense. They they had Cliff Branch, who was probably one of the fastest guys in the in NFL history. Uh, there was an Olympic sprinter at that time. He didn't he didn't get a chance to he hurt his hamstring to go to the Olympic trials and all. But he was he was world class speed. But he was already thirty five at the time, still one of the fastest. But he was suffering from some hamstring pulls and all. So they relied a lot on Todd Christensen, who was a big tight end, a running back that was converted over to tight end. And Christensen had ninety two receptions that year. And it was funny because he had number forty six, which was kind of uncustomary for a tight end. But he, that was his that was his number as a for fullback. So he he was great. And then you had. Um, uh, Malcolm Barnwell, who had world-class speed. Doki Williams, who was an Olympic champ or, or uh, sprint champion at UCLA. So you had these these young guys that were able to really fly down the field too, and they exemplified the Raiders the Raiders thing of you know we take what we want when we want it. You know don't 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 let us take what the defense wants to give us. We're going to take what we want when we want it. If we want to go long on first down, we're going to go long on first down. And he had big linemen up front, Bruce Davis, and all these other, all these other huge, Dave Dalby of the center, you know, just these big guys, Gene Upshaw and Art Shell were already gone at that time, but you had these big men up front and Charlie Hanna and just, just, just uh, Shelby Jordan. I mean, the list goes on, but the, they were just big, massive, you know, mounds of flesh and they blocked for Plunkett and they had that speed to go deep. And you had Marcus Allen, who to me was the greatest backfield player of all time now you know running back you could say well okay you can argue that all day long but when i say he was the greatest backfield star of all time you know ten thousand yards 
rushing, 5,000 yards receiving. So he was able to, he went over a thousand, he just barely got over a thousand yards that year, but he also caught numerous passes out of the backfield. He was also a threat to throw the ball. He threw a couple touchdowns that year. So they, they, they were loaded. They were loaded, but they weren't as loaded as people thought the Washington was, you know, and then, you know, they went to that game three point underdogs and before you know it, they just, uh, just, you know, they had a blocked punt and that, yeah, that was actually the Raiders, that Raiders team was the only team that scored touchdowns on special teams, offense, and on defense. You know, you had the special teams, Derek Jensen blocked a punt and recovered it in the end zone. He was the special teams captain. He recovered the ball in the end zone for the first touchdown. Then Cliff Branch caught a, a touchdown pass. And then Jack Squirek, who I mentioned earlier, came in to cover Joe Washington out of the backfield because Charlie Sumner, the defensive coach, remembered what happened when they played him in the regular season. And Joe Washington came out, caught a long pass and changed the game. And Washington won the game by a few points. So he remembered that. He saw Joe Washington come in and he just told Jack Squirek, you know, he pulled out Matt Millen, who was upset as hell to be pulled out of the game. And he put Jack Squirek in and just said, whatever you do, just cover him, just look at him. Because Jack Squirek was a tall guy, six foot four, 235 pounds. And he was able to, he was played a good outside backer where he could stop the run, but he could also stop the pass. So he was very agile. And he was he was in his second year. So he was a, lot, a little bit younger than Millen because Millen was like a block. You know, I mean, he was a good inside linebacker, but he didn't have that 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 reach maybe to, to cover to the outside. Jack Squirrett came in, the ball was thrown, and Lyle Alzado got in Theismann's path of his vision, and uh, Jack Squirrett became Super Bowl hero. You know, got his picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated because of it. But, you know, then it was 21-3, to 3, and then they let Marcus Allen take over, and Washington was just, you know, abused, dominated, punished, you know. The right. Mr. Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin's name, uh, words. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's a, it's a great book and, uh, you know, folks, you want all the little details and all these great memories. Uh, if you were alive to watch it, if you weren't, I mean, it's a great, uh, resource to go back and, and relive some history because, you know, Rich does a great job from, from soup to nuts from the beginning of the season and the expectations all the way to the end. And even in the postseason a little bit and given some, uh, things like we talked about talking about coaching staffs and, and things like that and awards and stuff that folks want so rich now you have you know we just talked to you gosh just a few weeks ago you had a, a book come out just a few weeks ago you had this one come out you've you've told me either during this podcast or before we came on you've got uh you know some other uh writings that are in the works too so what what do uh people have to look forward what are some some of the subject matters or titles that uh we can look forward to coming off uh of your uh typewriter or computer or keyboard computer. or whatever, whatever we use now. I'm, I'm still old school. You're throwing the old computer, the old paper out of the computer. <laughs> out of the typewriter. Um, I have, uh, I, I have three championship diaries planned uh, to come out hopefully within the next six months. And also I'm a huge fan of Hollywood history and I'm putting together a uh, thing called tales from classic Hollywood. A friend of mine, Bruce and Janine, uh, their husband and wife, I just call them my favorite power couple. They helped me come up with the title and everything. So Bruce and Janine, you guys rock. You guys are awesome. And they know they are. And, uh, but they, they said, you know, let, let's change this, you know, to change it to, you know, tales from classic Hollywood. And I was able to take stories just like I do in the football, but I'm putting it into uh, stories about Marilyn Monroe's movies and some of the old classic gangster movies and Gene Harlow, which was the, the original platinum blonde. 
And I just love that stuff just as much as I love sports. So I'm going to be, I'm working on that stuff simultaneously. And whenever, whenever I get the, uh, you know, the urge to do something when I, however I'm inspired is what I work on at that time. So it's kind of, kind of like a yo-yo with that. And I, I actually also have a book coming out soon called Beasts, Bedlam and Babes about classic drive-in movies from the 1950s through the early 80s. And um, I didn't do that independently. I'm having it through a company called Bear Manor. Um, and great, great man, Ben Omar uh, runs that company and very easy to work with. And I came up with that concept a few years ago. We, we agreed on it. So I wrote that project. So that, that'll be coming out. I'm supposed to be getting the proofs on that soon. So I can't wait to, to get that book out too. That's going to be a lot of fun. So I guess maybe we shouldn't see your books coming out. You have a whole library coming out here uh, very soon. I, you know, I like to, I'm living a dream, Darren. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's something that I dreamt about since I was a kid. And uh, I, I, you know, but again, you know, like I always say, you know, life gets in the way of things, you know, you, 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 you go get on with your life and all. And, um, and then when you reach a certain time, you say, you know what, maybe I can do this. And uh, then you get your encouragement from your family, your friends, and uh, I have some great friends that I, uh, that I, uh, you know, uh, Matt, and like I said, Bruce and Janine, and uh, Bamba, uh, and Forrest, and, and, and the, the list just goes on and on and on. Jim, Josh, um, they know who they are. And I just think they're fantastic people. And they're, they're a great, they're a great support system for me. And I'd be nothing without them. And I thank them so much. And um, and to, to the kind people that, that that purchase my my products and all, the kind things that they say to me in in reviews, um, you know, strangers that you don't even know and, and that, that you influenced that you, you gave them something to maybe be entertained by, and it's just such a rush, and I just love it. So if I could come up with a whole library to entertain people, gosh, I want to do that, Darren, so bad. I, I just love doing it. I love doing it. And uh, sorry if I offended anybody about saying this person or that person is the best, you know, uh, it, 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 only the only the Steelers losing part. That's the only part that offended anybody. I'm sorry about conversation. that. Minifield Dixon to my Cleveland fans, my Cleveland friends that are Cleveland fans. You know, a lot of the people that I just mentioned are diehard Cleveland fans. So I love you guys. And you guys had a great defensive backfield, but not as great as the Raiders at that time. You know. <laughs> Well, Rich, you, you are a passionate guy about whatever subject you're writing about football, you're writing about Hollywood or you know any of the great film stars, anything you do, you could write about the, the telephone company and we'd probably enjoy it because your passion comes through in the words that you put down on paper. And that's a special gift, my friend. And that, that, that's why we enjoy looking at your works, having you come on and share that passion. So with that said, let's give the title to this book one more time and where folks can get it. Okay, the name of the book is Championship Diary, Super Bowl 18. It's the Roman numerals XVIII. And uh, just go to Amazon and just punch in Championship Diary. And that'll come up and you'll see it. it's a beautiful black cover with white writing. And um, just click it. It's $10.99 for a physical copy and $4.99 for the ebook. Again, I wanted to keep the prices down. Oh, extremely uh, affordable. Thank you. Yeah. I, I I always look and say, what would I pay for something like this? If I, if I saw this book and I didn't know who wrote it and, and I'm passionate about it, would I spend that amount of money? And and um, I try to keep it reasonable because, again, sometimes some of the prices get jacked up on these uh, projects and it's just not right. So I try to keep it as reasonable as I could. And um, 
and hopefully, hopefully people will, will, will like it. Uh, I'm sure they will. Rich, we really appreciate you coming on here, talking a little football, talking a little bit about uh, your literary strategy and uh, all your works are coming out and uh, just getting to enjoy and, and hearing you talk and uh, some of the great things you have to say. We thank you so much for joining us here today. Darren, I thank you. And I just want to tell the audience that this man is incredible. His show is fantastic. I love, I could be on his show every day. I don't know if he can take me being on his show every day, but I, I so appreciate the opportunity. You grow tired of me real quick. <laughs> uh, I love it. Thank you so much for the kind words about my passion with the books. What, 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 what the audience doesn't know is Darren, Darren winds me up with all this stuff and then he sets me loose, you know, and then my family has to deal with it. But uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, Miss Helen. <laughs> I guess I get so wound up. I get so wound up uh, and excited talking with him and a great, great host, great show. And uh, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.